0: there might be more action on the base pass um i'm always like i've always liked the idea of you know guys running stealing bases like you know which is sort of faded in you know recent years and just the way the game's evolved like to see that come back to me that's going to be an interesting thing is how that plays out how teams take advantage of that or don't take advantage of that how that might manifest in key moments in big games to me that's that's the one that i'm really interested in
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week, and I'm excited to have this happen because I can debut. The voice and the name you're going to read and hear a lot from in the coming years. It's Lynn Worthy of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Welcome to the Baseball Beat, Lynn. It's good to have you here on the podcast, and it's great to have you as part of the team.
0: Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's great to be, you know, coming on board. It's great to be actually be in St. Louis for the first time in a little while <laughs> to actually be face to face. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this.
1: Where was your introduction to? Baseball, to like, take me back to like, how did you get interested in baseball? Because, I mean, correct me. We had a lot of talks here through this thing, but one of the things you told me was to like, just the interest in being a baseball writer. That has to come from a deep interest in baseball, right? That's where it begins. So,
0: so what you're asking is like not even like writing, but just like baseball in general. Yeah, yeah that was that was the first sport that I played. Like it was you know, um, the first sport that really caught my attention it was my older brother playing and my father coaching and at first I paid no attention to it and I think it was a little league championship series that I just ended up tagging along because it was like get out of the house go with your father and your brother and like I went um and uh so I'm watching the game and actually it actually was funny um this guy who I grew up with you know and I think the first time I met him was at this ball game and he actually now does write um, covers sports and he's done a lot of baseball stuff, uh, now works for sports techie Joe Lemire, mm. his brother and his father were also like in the same sort of boat where his brother played, his father coached um, and I met him literally in the playground and he was like telling me everything about all the players and the teams and like the nicknames and all sort of stuff and I joked with him that he was sports reporting when we were like seven because he was giving me the whole rundown on everything and I, it just sort of like caught my attention and from the time that I watched them, I think they won the championship that year that's when I decided I was gonna play and I remember Christmas that year, my father got like an aluminum bat for me, which was like, Okay, that's when it was like for sure we're we'll signing up for baseball next year and that's that's where I guess it started was just playing little league and, you know, um, seeing my brother and my father out there coaching and um watching them win a championship and then decide to dive in and um yeah, so it took off from there I guess.
1: And this was in Massachusetts, right?
0: Yeah, that's in, in Lowell, Massachusetts and then um so I was the first year I played. I think I was seven, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. So I think minor league then, like seven, eight, nine. So yeah, that was the first year I played. Um, I remember <laughs> we had that that minor league team I was on. I think we had like three years where it was literally you could count on one, uh, maybe on, maybe two hands the number of games that we actually won. That's how great a ball club we had. <laughs> um, but we had fun, and uh, and I think it was one of those things where, like, there was two teams in that league that just weren't any good, and one of my, like, neighbors and best friends was on the other team. So, like, and it was literally Yankees-Red Sox. And uh, I was on the Yankees, and he was on the Red Sox. And, like, those games were, like, at least in our minds, bragging right games because, like, neither of the team was very good, but we could beat the other one.
1: <laughs> Did they take four hours to play, four and a half hours to play?
0: No, no. That, and I used to I, – I, that was my standard line growing up, too, is I was telling people, like, you know, like, Red Sox-Yankees, you just pencil in four hours, block off four hours of time, and then if you get anything under that, then you call it a bonus. But, yeah.
1: <laughs> What was the spillover then to go from playing ball to being interested in writing baseball?
0: I guess it was just like when I first started writing, I would write about some of anything or everything. But like once we started doing baseball, um, it just seemed to be the thread that carried through. So like this will be the sixth newspaper that I've worked at. I've covered some level of baseball in every place that I've worked. Whether it was in um, the first paper I worked at was in Lowell, Massachusetts, which is right where I grew up, and uh, we had um, UMass Lowell, but we also had the Spinners uh, minor league baseball team, which uh, I remember when that team like started, like because I, I lived in the area, and I remember going to the games in the old ballpark, which was just like a like makeshift place, where, like bleachers and all that sort of stuff and then they built a new ballpark and i went to games there um and then later on i covered that team so i was one of the first teams that i covered and we sort of rotated stuff but um in lowell i would go to some spinners games umass lowell every now and then sub in for our guys in boston um and then when i went to binghamton new york um had a double a team there and basically saw the core of that um team that won the nl pennant for the mets Come through there. My first year was the like Familia and Harvey, and then so I saw Ligaris, I saw Wheeler, Cindergard, Degrom, Mats. I saw all those guys on their way up. I saw them. They won. Uh, actually, Mats pitched the clinching game of a, a Eastern League Championship uh, title for Binghamton, which. Was a whole other thing because the city of Binghamton was was rumored to be losing their team, and so there was literally like a fan group that was you know trying to keep the team in town. And so I wrote about all that sort of stuff. And then there was this championship in the middle of it, which was really cool. Um, I went to Allentown, Pennsylvania, and um, covered a little bit. I was sort of like the backup guy doing some of the uh, Iron Pigs, Lehigh Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Salt Lake City. I did some of the Salt Lake Bees, Triple A team, and then obviously in Kansas City he was doing the Royals.
1: Did you get to the ballpark at Provo? Was there a minor league team playing in Provo when you were there in Salt Lake?
0: Didn't I mean I went I went out to Provo, but it was for BYU. So did like, you I,
1: see BYU baseball there?
0: I saw them play in Salt Lake City. I think. Okay, I did see them play. That is one of the,
1: Utah. Okay, that's one of the most beautiful ballparks I've ever been to. Of oh. all things, the Provo, the the Brigham Young campus Provo ballpark, just amazing.
0: Well, the Salt Lake City, um, the backdrop, like literally every day when I was there at the ballpark in Salt Lake City, uh, Smith's Ballpark, people would come in, like scouts, like different media, and they hadn't been there before, they would look out the press box because almost every... Every ballpark or stadium in Utah that I went to had, like, mountains as a yeah. backdrop. And so when you get to the summertime and, like, there's still snow caps on there until, like, June, people would come in and just stare at it and, like, take pictures. Like, every day, There people would just – because of where – you know, you're elevated in the press box. Um, so that was always, like, a cool thing. And, like, in um, the – I think that first year I was out there, the Jazz just drafted Donovan Mitchell. And I remember he came out, nobody knew who he was, but he threw out a first pitch because the ownership of both teams was the same. And he was yeah. just this this new draft pick. And, you know, this was before he went crazy. And, you know, everybody, like, it was just like, it was almost, I remember one time comparing it to, like, the Patrick Mahomes thing, like, for Utah, because Donovan Mitchell was, like, just this whole phenomenon for people there. But before all of that, he was out there throwing out first pitch at a, um, Game, a minor league game in Salt Lake City, and I remember the background being that his father had worked for the Mets and all this sort of thing. Well,
1: that's pretty cool. So you've spent the last few years uh, covering the Royals for the Kansas City Star. What has that experience been like? Because you, you you come into that spot, um, and they're not too far removed from winning a World Series championship, um, but still maybe trying to find their trying to get younger. And they went through and introduced some really young prospects, but they had at least somewhere in their intentions of contending um what was it like covering that beat after the kind of the experience of moving through the minors
0: it was a lot of change i guess would be the best way to say it um uh for i mean for me but also just you know for watching them try and change and and get to a a different point than where they were at i mean the first year there was 19 so you still had ned yost was still the manager Mm -hmm.
1: Um, well, yeah, you still had the f- the guys who left fingerprints on a championship, right?
0: Yeah, well, you had, you had some. So, like, Moose was gone by then, but you still had Gordo, Salvi. Um, most of the core was sort of gone, but you had a couple of those guys. You had Ned. You had some of the staff. Um, and obviously the front office pretty much stayed intact until this last year when, um, when they fired Dayton. But there's still a lot of that front office still there, really. Um, so, um, 19 was sort of uh, – uh, uh, it was still the tail end, I guess, maybe you would say, but really it was they were trying to figure out who was going to be part of the next core. So you start seeing them like you know, Whit Merrifield was there. Um, you had like that was the year that they drafted Bobby Witt Jr. Because I, I remember specifically they played in Arlington leading up to the draft and um, having this conversation with the, my bosses at the time, and I was sitting in Texas and I'm call, I called them I'm like listen. I don't know who they're going to pick but I know that people seem to think that this kid Witt who lives 20 minutes from where I'm sitting right now could be the pick and I'm getting on a plane Monday morning and flying away when the draft is like that night I was like are we doing this Or and, and I literally stayed in um, Arlington that extra couple of days on the hope or, like, on the chance that they would draft him, and they did. And so then, I like, I did the first interview with Bobby That's after cool. he got drafted, Smart. like, the day after, um, and, and talked to his father and everything. And so, um, but, yeah, so, like, you literally saw the first, like, you know, one of the first pieces of that next wave Or I mean, I don't know if he's technically the first piece because, like, some of the other guys were drafted before sure. him, but, like, he's the high-profile piece of that next wave. Um, that was still part of that 2019 year. Um, and then you had... COVID season, and you had um, the the sort of weird, like, return season, and then last year, it seemed like it was a little bit more of a normal year, but then, you know... on the
1: Laid by a lockout?
0: Well, yeah, the the, the lockout, um, you had a managerial change, and I know folks are familiar with Mike Matheny, who came in, and you had an ownership change right after 19, so like, you know, 19, it was still the very end of, like I say, some of the remnants of that championship club, and then ownership change, manager change, um, some of the young guys still took a couple of years to get there. Um, Gordo retired after the pandemic year in 2020. Alex Gordon, um, who was, you know, aside from Salvi, like the last real like mainstay. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that because Danny Duffy was still around too at that point. But they, those were like the last three, basically. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was interesting just to you know you see that last end, and then now this year you finally started to see. The new core coming together and they started trading some of the veteran guys and um, showed some promise late in the season, but still a little ways to go. The
1: uh, the coaching staff that you covered after that 19 season had a very distinct Cardinal hue to it, um, led by the manager, Mike Matheny, but also had John Mabry and Cal Eldred on that staff as well. Um, what, what was the what were some of the like hints or uh references or maybe reflections is a better word of of the cardinals did you see in that i mean did that come up much as the royals were trying to build did did they make reference to the notion of how they would compare themselves against the team on the other side of the state uh, on the other side of interstate 70
0: Not really. And I think with Matheny, I think part of it was conscious because not that he had anything against the Cardinals because obviously he spent a lot of time here as a player before the manager and before he obviously was fired as a manager. But... um, I think initially he tried to stay away from that just because he didn't want to keep referencing it. Just because I think he knew that you know in Kansas City there's a little bit of a chip on the shoulder about you know the team across the state and obviously they had more success recently. Um,
1: but I don't came, know, man. The Royals have a World Series more recently than the Cardinals.
0: I, I, I guess in terms of like you know just the, the recent records, I should say. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. But um, I mean, last year, last ten years, it's one nothing KC, right? right? And the, well, on the on the scoreboard that matters, right? Yeah. Well, and that's that's, that's the other part of it is like you said was there I a, guess it's tied now cuz you came over. So right. now we got Lynn from from KC so we're starting to rally.
0: Well, it's also the uh you know the way we talked about with some of the guys back in Kansas City was that it's the um I'm the player to be named later <laughs> Vahe Gregorian trade is what, okay. how we've been calling it. Um but uh, you know like you said the um uh whether or not it was uh, matching up or how they compare with like St. Louis really was more so referencing the last rebuild because you still had a lot of the people in Kansas City that built towards that 14 pennant and 15 championship so really that was more the reference point for a lot of people but it's still Cardinals still came up because you know whether it was something in the news with one of the Cardinals' greats, you know, one of the guys passing away, whether it be Lou Brock or Bob or um, and Matheny having had previous interactions with them, you know, obviously we'd talk, we'd ask him about them, and he would share some of his memories and always very um, referential to just his time here and and respectful of like the interactions he had with those guys or when um, you know somebody got honored and um, you know that sort of stuff. So it would come up, but it just wasn't something that was referenced a lot i think in part because um you know mike didn't necessarily want to keep referencing that but also because their reference point was really what they had done a few years earlier
1: when you when you're covering a team that is kind of bending young to build the next core what do you learn about what it takes to win because like, obviously you, they, they go out and they play Houston, they go out and they play teams that are winning, so you get to see it through there. But when you're watching a team actively try to build toward the future and not the now, what do you learn about what it takes to win? What do you learn about what it takes to to be uh, a year-in, year-out contender in the game?
0: I think the the biggest thing is just how hard it is to be consistent. Like, you know, even guys who you see – that you know there's talent. There's, like, ridiculous talent, whether that's, like, Bobby Witt Jr. or MJ Melendez or some of these guys. But, you know, to be ridiculous talent but then to be a consistent performer on an everyday basis, like, you know, like some of the guys that you might see here in, you know, like like in St. Louis, whether that's, you know, Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt or, like, you've seen guys who've done it over extended periods of time and obviously have great talent but have produced consistently over years, I think, I think you see like, you know how hard it is, or you get an appreciation for how hard it is because you see the talent in these young guys. But you know, there's ups and downs because it's their first time being in the big leagues. It's their first time facing some of these things. It's first, even some of the small things, like first time playing that many games or playing on that regular basis because, you know, in the minors there might be more scheduled days off, like, you know, especially with the, the way they've adjusted the minor league schedule mm-hmm. recently or just because, you know, they might you know ease these guys into everyday playing time. I mean, especially guys who came from high school and, you know, have been sort of shot through the minor leagues and the minor league schedule was all – out of whack the last couple years so they probably weren't playing 150 games on the same type of schedule that they had in the big league so you see some of that like you know whether it's guys just trying to figure out how they're deal with like you know pre-game work or you know just injuries or what they can handle with their bodies like you you notice that as you see it playing out um but to me it's also i think we talked about this before like to me some of that stuff is like that's the good stuff is to, like i at least i like seeing these guys develop seeing it firsthand seeing like the starting point and then see the progress and maybe some of that's because i spent so much time covering minor league ball i really like seeing that too like seeing guys go through the ups and downs and then see them come out the other end and you were seeing it all all along like i'm not one that likes to like drop in on something they like all right well we'll come back and see how he's doing later it's like no i like to see the
1: journey Do you do you think that your experience covering minor league ball where I imagine like the game results are secondary to maybe the story you're chasing like you're chasing more like themes than you are like covering the outcome of a game right if that makes sense like um, it's the game's still in there but or the score still in there did that inform how you covered the royals then in a way as they kind of were more focused on the future than the standings of the now
0: possibly i mean i don't think i ever really thought of it that way but um i mean there's definitely times in the in the minor leagues like you know when i was covering mets minor league affiliate for a long time it was like The story a lot of times was how did Noah Syndergaard throw that day? Like the score was in there, but there was a lot more people worried about how Syndergaard threw that day than what the score was of that, you know, Tuesday game in the Eastern League. Um, Or, you know, how so and so was developing. Or, like, you know, Michael Conforto, who literally went from double A to playing on a team that went to the World Series. Like, How was he developing? How how was he adjusting? Like, he went through a slump, and that was a big deal, like, how he was handling that slump and how he came out of it. So I guess when I look at it now, especially during the times when, like, you knew the Royals were out of it early, then probably, without even thinking about it, my mindset probably did shift to... How these guys are developing, how these guys are playing, what sort of progress they're making or not making, or what they're learning as they go along. So, I, and that that really has been a lot more of the focus, like, especially at the end of this past season when they brought up so many young guys. I mean, I forget what the number was, but um, how many guys made their debuts? I think it was double digits. Um, and so, um, and you know, and again with like the young pitching that they've been sort of on the job training in the major leagues with the Royals, that's been a big focus so like even if a game's out of whack it's like okay well what did you know daniel lynch look like tonight and compared to these other nights and was there a step made that that was really what the focus was because that's what the readers and the fans you know wanted to hear about so yeah i guess they're really like i said i didn't really think about it that much but there's probably a parallel there
1: what do you you like about those conversations you have with guys in the minors about like what they're learning. I mean, in a lot of ways, you get, you know, those players come through, they're not yet in the majors, they have a distinct goal that they want to get to, but the stories that you're able to get kind of because of the atmosphere is a little bit more... I don't don't know if relaxed is the right word, but it's a little bit less regimented, that's for sure, than the majors where, you know, in the majors you might have like this set time to be in this place talking to this guy, and then he's got to get to this meeting followed by that meeting, followed by that trainer, followed by that time in the game. It seems like the the schedule is a little bit more regimented with the majors. What did that allow in, in the minors, the stories you were able to explore, the kind of conversations you could have with these players as they came up?
0: I think in the minors especially, like, um, I mean, in Binghamton, uh, I was there for like five years. So that it was an extended period of time that I was around a lot of those guys. Um, but it wasn't like there wasn't a real structured you know media setup it was more like especially for me who was there like every day at home at least i was on my own like it wasn't like a pr person was pulling guys aside it was like no before the game and after the game i was there clubhouse was open and like if you needed somebody you grabbed them you know whether it was after bp that you know like you had conversations with people all the time so it became i think you know whether you want to say relaxed or a lot more i Maybe guys were a lot less guarded, I guess, just because they were familiar with you. You were able to build up a trust factor, probably a little bit more easy or uh, more easily, um, you know. And and the other thing, and not that it, I don't think it factored into the the actual writing, but like you used to run into these guys. Like I would run into them because the town's not that big. <laughs> you might yeah, run into yeah. them after the game <laughs> somewhere too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, um, and also, I think they just you know everything was new to them too so that that was probably um different than guys who've been around been through the minor leagues and i don't want to say necessarily jaded but just like you know they've maybe experienced more things um for these guys in the minors where so much of it is new um maybe their perspective or the fresh eyes is is uh something that came through in the writing and also just you know um some of the life experiences like you know talking to guys who uh like i remember one year doing the father's day story and one of the guys had literally just become a father like earlier that year and mm-hmm. you know he's a guy who i'd already had familiarity with because he'd been around like the year before and so being able to sit there and talk one-on-one about like you know what that experience was like for him and like to be to see father's day coming up and him telling me he's like yeah it's he's like, he's like it hit me the other day i was walking around the, i was in the mall and i saw the father's day sign he's like dang that that applies to me now (laughs) like just being able to sort of have those relaxed i guess maybe conversations but again something that i probably didn't i haven't given a whole lot of thought to but it probably did show up just in like i say the fact that they're a little um looking at things with fresh eyes and probably a lot less guarded than they even those same guys might be now after years in the big leagues
1: so you grew up in massachusetts you went to College got got a, a graduate degree right in Boston. Is that right at Emerson?
0: Yeah, yeah. I went to a small school in um Maine, Bates College, um for undergrad. Um actually played football the first couple of years up there. Um not anything that anybody would uh <laughs> that's worth looking up. <laughs> There's not a whole lot to look up. Um and then um it's a Division 3 school and then uh, I did graduate school at Emerson in Boston and um actually started working at the newspaper in lowell before i finished up so that's like i ended up taking like an extra year almost to finish up with degree but i had a full-time sports job before i finished so it's like yeah we'll make this work
1: that's <laughs> fantastic and i mean not a bad place to grow up and go to school and that whole area when it comes to baseball or baseball writing did you fall into the passion to being passionate about the Red Sox? Did you did you swim in the copy of the Boston Globe and the the coverage of well, Peter Gammons would have been there and Nick Cafardo would have been there? Two guys who are Hall of Fame baseball writers.
0: It was really more so later that I got a real appreciation for like what the Boston papers had. So like when I was growing up, like I I like to follow the sports, like to play sports, like I played. Multiple sports, like even in uh, high school, played three sports most of the years because I went to a really small school. Um, But I didn't read as much until I got into like really, um, like if I'm being honest, like college. I think is when I really started to like read more of the Bob Ryan, the Shaughnessy, the different guys, and being like, whoa. And then you realize, like, I don't think I realized how many of those guys either came through Boston or grew up there. Like you know, Peter Gammons and Shaughnessy both. Um, at different times obviously grew up in Groton which was like two towns over from like where I was going yeah. to high school. Um, like I don't think I even really knew that until almost when I was in college it might, it might actually been when I was in college when I actually realized that. Um, so I think like it was just more of a sports fan and not as much of a, a reader until later on when I you know like I sort of Knew in high school that I was interested in doing um, sports writing, but I don't think I really dove in into it until I really got into like college and um, probably when I stopped focusing so much on playing sports. And I was still playing, but it just wasn't, you know, like I just was changing with the seasons with the different sports. And that was my primary focus. It seemed like a lot in sports and school in high school. And then later on, when I started thinking about this might be a career and starting to look at some of the things that were right there in that region. It was like, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: One of the coolest things that. I mean, Cardinal fans are going to win at this. One of the coolest things when in 2004, when I was added to the baseball beat here, um, my first season there in the World Series, my assignment was covering the Red Sox. I did the opponent side, so opponent notebook, opponent sidebar, opponent interviews, all that stuff. Um, but I was out in the auxiliary press box in 2004 then with a bunch of the Red Sox riders, many of whom were... Boston or Boston area kids, and to see their reaction—you um, know, there's there's no cheering in the press box, and they weren't cheering, but there was a real gravity to what they were watching. And one of the riders who was right sitting right to my left um, said, uh, "My my 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 dad never thought he'd see this happen. Like, you know, just to think about like as that came." Into clarity, this notion that like generations that brought them to the ballpark that showed them baseball and now they'd be riding for the next generation, but they thought that a championship like that would never happen. It was really, it was, it was a, it was an experience that kind of put things in focus for me as a, as a kid who not, who did not grow up chasing a championship or che- cheering for a team chasing a championship, but for that, for me to understand the weight of. All the waiting that kind of led to some of that great coverage was cool. It was was a cool experience.
0: Yeah, and growing up there, um, I think I don't I don't know if there's anybody that I know that grew up there that doesn't know somebody who had like you know that type of experience where. Once they finally won, like the, everybody knew somebody who like you know the, their immediate thoughts went to like family members who weren't around to actually see it because it was eighty six years yeah. you know to, so like there's you know people who are literally like stories of people going to grave sites to you know let their their loved ones know that it finally happened because that's the type of impact that this thing had um, and you know people who just never thought they would see it I mean people who part of their, almost part of their identity had been, like, you know, the the hard-scrabble Red Sox fans that were just waiting and waiting and always kept getting knocked down and, like, would get so close and, like, you know, you talk about, like, 1986 and the ball between Buckner's legs and all that stuff. I mean, they literally made movies about this stuff and it's, um, to see it actually happen was kind of cool. I mean, and I I, you know, I I, I told you, you know, I, I grew up in Massachusetts but because of my family being from New Jersey I really followed more of the Yankees, so I didn't necessarily consider myself, like, a you Know true Red Sox fan, but um, especially with the Yankees connection. But even I had to like, I was happy for some of these folks to see them have that moment. I wasn't necessarily happy about how they got there, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but to see that like it was it was cool just to see that just to see that happen. And um, and actually, that year like during that playoff, that was the year that I started grad school, so I was literally going back and forth into Boston on the train every day while that series was going on and That's awesome. It was it was funny because you mentioned the 4-hour games and the late starts cuz of TV and primetime. Everybody on the trains was a zombie. It seemed like going into Boston on those horrible trains. <laughs>
1: That's good. Cool. Well, good thing. It, well, again, Cardinal fans once, but I guess good thing it only went four games then, just for the for the sake of those folks on the on the commuter rail.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I still remember there was a guy, and, and I didn't. It took me a second to realize what was going on because everybody started making noise when he got on the train, and I was like, "What the heck's going on?" And I realized he was a Yankees fan, and the reason I realized it was because clearly he made a bet because. <laughs> Every day he rode in, he had to wear the pink Red Sox (laughs) hat. Because clearly I was like, okay, it didn't take, it took me a second, but it didn't take too long to figure out what happened there. I was like, oh,
1: yeah, that's tough. (laughs) I would take great delight in welcoming you to a National League city, and we could spend a good 10, 12 minutes of me talking about double switches and the joy of covering uh, an illogical double switch that just made me bonkers, um, like double switching out the cleanup hitter, for example, for a closer or for a pitcher. It's just, But that doesn't happen anymore, so I can't welcome you to great debates about double switches in the press box anymore. Um, but what we will have is new rules um, this coming year. Are, is there one that stands out to you, one that you're real intrigued to see how it how it how it manifests on the field, it's not one specific rule, but it's how
0: the changes impact base stealing. Uh, that to me, just like you know, whether it's the bigger bases or the pickoff rule, or um, you know, just that idea that. Um, there might be more action on the base pass um i'm always like i've always liked the idea of when you know guys running stealing bases like you know having a catcher who's really good at controlling the running game having pitchers who are you know conscious of trying to con- uh, control runners and times to the plate and all that sort of stuff which is sort of faded in you know recent years and just the way the game's evolved like to see that come back to me that's going to be an interesting thing is how that plays out how um teams take advantage of that or don't take advantage of that how that might manifest in key moments in big games to me that's that's the one that i'm really interested in and
1: what about being in st louis and now living breathing a baseball city there's no there's no football team though a soccer team is starting up right as you were um but this is a city that adores its baseball history it's it's Cherishes it, it celebrates it, um, and it is very hungry for a championship to kind of add to that history. What about coming here? Are you looking forward to?
0: Just the atmosphere, just the 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 fact that it matters to people. That people care about every game. I mean, I've I've made the reference, and I don't know if it if it fits. And maybe people in St. Louis will be like, ah, I don't know about that. But like for people that I've grown up with, like back home, you know, in Massachusetts, i will be like. It's they they look at it like if you had the Red Sox and you didn't have NFL or NBA. So I was like, so imagine the Red Sox with no Patriots, no Celtics. I was like, that's what the Cardinals are in this area. And like I said, I don't know how. That's just the analogy I've used. I don't know if it, people feel like that's that fits. But to me, the amount of attention that like the people who whose springs and summers revolve around the ball club in Boston, I feel like that's what it's going to be here. People who you know are ready to make a referendum on every game as outcome, even though you shouldn't in baseball. And I remember having discussions with my aunt, who was a big Yankees fan, how she would call me like after a game and talk about how, who needs to go and everybody needs to be out. And I'm like, it's April, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but like to, to have uh, like an entire fan base where it matters that much and people care and, and they read and they know what they're talking about and the history that you know is around just this area and this franchise um it's it's really cool you know it's really cool um i'm looking forward to it
1: the uh the the analogy that i give is when they lose the first game of the year it's like oh well there goes the national championship they they won't be able to play in the orange bowl because it it is this feeling of almost college football type where you know the the, every game feels like it's this important kind of sec style game that could determine the outcome of whether or not you're in the whatever they i don't even know the what's the bad boy bowl of yankee stadium or you're in the national championship game i'm i'm is there a weed whacker bowl still there's no gator bowl anymore there's there's bad boy no
0: mowers, I think maybe no that bad
1: boy no? mowers. Yeah, that was the one at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, Syracuse, Minnesota. I know. I don't know why I know that except for it was at Yankee Stadium. That's probably why. But yeah, I got to update my uh, the my bowl references. But it is it is like college it is like college football here. So you know it's uh, there's a lot of, a lot on every game, and that's fantastic because you know that people care. Right? But, um, there, there's no such thing as like a mediocre cardinal team because mediocre it might as well be rebuilding like what are they taking they're, they're 500 are they taking so that's kind of there's there's no there's no time where there's just an apathy that like no they're just okay you know because just okay it's like why aren't they better than okay um which is a good way to uh to view the team and to cover a team um so I, so i've asked you all these questions you got any have you been warned anything about coming to st louis like, heard, heard about how I throw laptops on deadline? or and I don't. I don't.
0: No. I'm trying to think. I mean, I know just from the few times that I've been here covering games is they do rush you out of the press box at a certain time. <laughs>
1: <Whether> <laughs> you do have
0: should, to type so that. It. Whether or not I should mention that. I just know that. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I have not yet, but shortly, I guess, I will probably to try and figure out exactly um, where I stand on the uh, the different uh, style of pizza.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the good news is that there is a multitude of pizza styles here. Like, I know the reference is that there's a St. Louis style, but there are places where you can get a New York style and a chicago style and do just fine here there this st louis contains multitudes man it, it does and you you won't you won't hurt for places to eat and you'll find a pizza you like even if it's not st louis style pizza or you might love st louis pizza and you know then you'll be doing ads for it they'll be sponsoring the podcast here all of a sudden that'd be great that'd be great well, wow. hey, co-sponsor with the uh, with the closet folks, right? Right, we can't, right? We can't be pushing people aside just yet. Right, good point, good point. All right, so any questions that uh, I can answer for you? I've, I've asked you all these. You got any questions for me here?
0: Um, I hadn't really thought about it, but now that I am thinking about it, I guess as the vet, as the guy who's <laughs> been here, as the guy who's got all this experience, what's the one thing that you maybe didn't know or didn't really have a full grasp of that you
1: wish you had when you first started on the beat. Well, that's a good. That's a good question. I, you know, it's it's interesting because like the beat has obviously changed. Like, just sports writing in general has changed so much since '04. So I mean, the, the the fact that we're doing a podcast is an example of that. The Fact that you do the the chat is a is an example of that. You know, I think it's. I think the one thing that I try to keep in mind is that baseball has increasingly become a general manager's game right like the it we talk a lot about the front offices we talk a lot about um you know building a team we talk a lot about uh how they put together a roster um and part of that is because the gms and the presidents of the baseball they're 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 the forward face of teams they're available um and i always try to i think when, when i started it was like oh time time with the manager okay oh time with the general manager okay i'm going to talk to the guys who are making the decisions and i think i should have learned quicker and i always try to remind myself to no, know this this is still a game about the players you know and tell the stories of the players and you know the manager's there and the manager is here is uh, he likes talking baseball he's got a fascinating story the, the president of baseball operations is here. He's been here for a long time. They've had a lot of success when it comes to the winning record. They're chasing a pennant. Um, those are stories to tell. But I try to remind myself that, like, look, you know, like the, the, the players are the ones out there in the box, not the hitting coach. The, the pitcher is the one out there who's fiddling with the grip on his pitch, not the pitching coach. And tell that story go find that story um i i always try to figure out one of the guys who is a very like who is a reluctant or a difficult interview and i try to get the good interview with that guy and as i've you know call me the vet as i've gone through these years and things have changed um you know twitter has become more prevalent and it seems like everything is in snack sized bursts and again that caters to a general manager style game because it's about team building it's about like fantasy trades it's about speculation it's about you know transactions um I try not to lose sight that the that the game is still the story of the players not and who they are and what they do and to make sure that i continue to try to seek those stories out not try to to do the tweet that gets a lot of likes, but write the story that gets a lot of surprised eyes. I try to keep that in mind. Is that too long of an answer? No,
0: no, no. I mean, especially not for a podcast. You know, I mean, if it, <laughs> if it was a written answer, it might, it might, uh, might uh, you know, might need a little. Uh, Cutting, or was the um, the phrase that our old buddy Vahe used to use? Uh, Tight and bright, you know? <laughs> bright. Yeah, I yeah. yeah, might might have to tighten that up a little bit. But no, for podcasts, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, again, you know, none of those front office people, whether it's Moe or Dayton Moore or J.J. Picola or whoever you want to name, has to get into the batter's box and, you know, come up with something with two outs and, you know, a guy on third or, you know. Face Josh
1: Hader's slider, yeah.
0: Exactly. So um, players still... Determine what happens on the field, and um, and I'm not sure that anybody buys a ticket to see somebody up in the booth. <laughs> they buy right. a ticket to see what's happening on the field.
1: I try to keep that in mind. Yeah, this will be good. You know, you a couple. Of, we have shared mentors. Both Vahe means Vaje Gregorian, former writer at the Post Dispatch, columnist at the Kansas City Star, means means the world to me. One of my best friends. I recently um, saw that like Mark Spears. Is a pal of yours, right? And so he was my competition covering the Nuggets years ago in Denver. But we have a lot of shared friends, so that'll be, that'll be good. Well, welcome aboard. This is exciting. Um, you'll, I'll, I'll pester you to be on the podcast again in spring training, and I'll try not to pester you to be on it more than you want to. But you're, you're always welcome to join. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. Thank you very much, Lynn.
0: Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: welcome to St. Louis. This will be great. This will be great. We'll uh, look for Lynn's byline here shortly. That's Lynn Worthy. You'll, you'll, you'll get you'll get to see a lot of Lynn here in the coming year as we uh, we add him to the baseball beat and we always look to improve the baseball beat. You can find it there at STLToday.com and in the pages of the Post Dispatch. That's where you can find all the constant Cardinals coverage. You can find the best podcast in baseball wherever you get your podcast. The best podcast in baseball, sponsored by Closet by Design. Thanks. See, you even got the drop in there. Thanks. Do you want to say it? The Closet by I'm not, I'm not polished that, that polished yet. <laughs> give, give me a little time. Little. Okay. All right. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closets by Design, and it's a production of the St. Louis Post Dispatch, sldi. and and me. Um, this is exciting. Next time, uh, next time we see each other, maybe when you're when you're moving here, or I hope we I hope we get a chance to see each other before we end up in Florida. But uh, but I'll show you around Florida too. It's a lot different than uh spring training in arizona i'm sorry to break that news to you yeah
0: well i was, I was just gonna say you like whether you see me before uh spring training or not i'm sure you'll be seeing more than you want of me <laughs> that's not true soon. that's fairly right, yeah. soon <laughs> yeah
1: we'll be we we'll sharing a condo in florida and you can uh you can brag about what it was like to be in arizona and uh, i'll say well that's how we get by in for all right lynn very good to see you good luck house hunting um talk to you soon
0: thanks